I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. Welcome to another episode of Seriously. This week, before I say anything else, the new One Direction album came out. So that's been my entire four days since Friday. And how is it? Mixed emotions, because there's quite a lot of songs on there that are like, not goodbye, but this was really fun. Because this is theoretically the last one, at least for a while, right? Yeah, they're going on a, quote marks, hiatus for, I think, a year, which is like pretty standard. I mean, Rihanna's like sat on some gorgeous island somewhere with, you know, a joint hanging out of her mouth being like, guys, calm down. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've spent the week sort of, you know, hanging out with various different One Direction fans at at different events. Emotions are running high, I think Mm. it's fair to say. But they've also just had like the biggest week I think they've ever had in terms of UK promo over here. So they've been on the telly constantly and on the radio and stuff. So it's been a good week if you're a fan like me. And one of the songs I have to do a quick shout out to is called Temporary Fix. And it's written by Niall. And no one ever talks about the fact that Niall writes songs. It's always like, yeah, Harry or like, yeah, Liam. They love to write songs. Niall smashed it and wrote by far the best song on the album. Just completely Mm. randomly. Also, you can tell it's written by an Irish person because it's called Temporary Fix. But the chorus goes, I'll be your temporary fix. (laughs) (laughs) And they pronounce every syllable in a very Mm. Irish way. Great. Would recommend go out by Made in the AM everyone so we've also had some emails this week from listeners one of which from joe poses an interesting question that i think we should address briefly which is what do you think of the announcement of the new harry potter play set after the books good idea slash bad idea excited terrified both all three um (laughs) that's quite a good way to sum it up i think joe then concludes his email by saying thanks for the excellent podcastery brackets not a word good word though joe (laughs) and i think we should bring it back very good Um, word tickets for the cursed child went on sale while i was on holiday grr and so i don't have any were you blissfully unaware of it even happening no i knew it was happening but i just hadn't you know when you don't match up your weeks properly no i, know. I thought it was the week i got back it was the week before so um i think i'm probably gonna go like next summer or something yeah i bought some at work <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it you you just had to like queue and have it running mm. for about an hour in order to get tickets basically just open in a tab um so, so i what, did that so when are you going I'm going on opening night. 
I know. I don't know how we managed to get opening night tickets because we were way back in the queue. But I also made my boyfriend buy tickets as well, just in case my mm. card got declined or something. So we now have like two pairs of tickets. And we need to do something about that. <laughs> so maybe, you know, overexcitement. But yeah, I, I think I probably fall in the excited camp, whereas my boyfriend, who I'm going with, definitely falls into the terrifying camp mm, and says, I'd rather it wasn't happening at all. But as it is happening, I've got to go and be there. <laughs> I think I incline towards that view as well. Long term listeners will have heard my pronouncements on this before that I wish JK Rowling would stop writing fan fiction of her own work <laughs> yeah. because it's kind of annoying. And I think this falls into that same category. But since she has done it, then obviously I need to go and see it. Yeah, exactly. I am, I think, more excited because I do really like Jack Thorne, who's one of the writers involved. I think he's brilliant. So I kind of feel like whatever he does is always done really well in in a kind of very human way, which is the worry with Harry Potter stuff is that it kind of spirals out of control in terms of filling in random bits of backstory and stuff for random obscure characters or like phenomenon in the world and then loses its sort of... What the thing that people like about it is obviously like the main relationships and people. Speaking of, I saw, I think... Either the trailer or some clips of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, Mm. the film, have been released. That one I'm a bit more like, okay, stop. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It looked, I mean, it looked really beautiful and, you know, Eddie Redmayne looks very nice in it. But, yeah, not sure about that. What do we think of Nomadge? Did you hear about this? No. Americans don't say muggle, they say Nomadge. What? It's like no magic. Nomadge. But but why? It's, It's this muggle in the book. Well, yeah, but the the books are set in, you know, mostly Scotland, I guess. But Americans, I mean, it's, it poses an interesting question of how, you know, American culture is not the, I can never say this word, hegemony. That's right. Okay. Hegemony yeah. in, a, <laughs> in the magical world, clearly, because that just hasn't extended. Actually, to throw forward to something we're going to be doing in a few weeks, friend of the podcast, Elizabeth Minkle, is going to be coming on. Um, I think probably the second week of December. She is American, she is a big Harry Potter fan, she writes a lot about fan culture, and I know that is one of the things she wanted to talk to us about. America is not the world when it comes to pop culture. Muggles v no magis. Yeah, exactly. So we will return to this view. Before we get properly into what we were going to talk about this week, though, we had an excellent email from Anna, not you, other, a different Anna. Hello, other Anna. Um, about our chat about Outlander last week. And she says, I thought I'd write in as a Scot from the Highlands, a former resident of various Hebridean islands, a Gaelic speaker and gainfully employed in the Scottish heritage sector. Oh my gosh, she's so perfect. She, she is super issue. qualified to talk about this, far more than me. Even we are. Um, <laughs> she said, um, it was really interesting to hear how you felt the representation of Scotland hadn't been touristified. And I totally agree that the period of history isn't well represented in pop culture and more than shame given the bloody, brutal and totally fascinating stories it holds. But she said, that said, watching it, my first reaction was immediately one of cringing. She said to her, who's obviously a Gaelic speaker and knows far more about this, it was just all wrong. Like, it was all kind of shoehorned into the script. They were speaking speaking kind of modern Gaelic, not... So it sounded really incongruous with the the accents and the the mode when they were speaking English. Like sort of people doing a Shakespearean lilt on english for chaucer times or something yeah i think i think that's what she means um and she also says the versions of the highlands portrayed to this highlander felt exactly the opposite of what we felt which was it was the sweeping landscapes and typical shots of glens and hills and all the rest of you expect but i thought it was really really dull and i love where i'm from she says oh that's um, a really good email and and also she gets she then goes on to talk a little bit more about um how whilst the sort of romance stuff was interesting you know there were there are some great stories from that time by female poets and things that 
could have been drawn on but weren't. Oh my god, Anna, can we fund you to do? Yeah, I know. I kind <laughs> I don't of don't want... have any money, but I'll just like fund you with enthusiasm. Yeah, to do a proper outlander. So yeah. yeah, that was a fantastic email. And if you'd like to send us emails about things that we we talk about, please do. We're on seriouslypod s r s l y pod at gmail dot com. Um, we'd love to hear from you. So the first thing we're going to talk about this week is Netflix phenomenon, Master of None. Basically, everyone I know is watching this. I think everyone my age.、Mm. This is Aziz Ansari's new show. He is formerly of Parks and Rec and other comedy things. I'm sure that I haven't seen, and it's really good. I think. What do you think, Caroline? Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I've watched three and a bit episodes, and definitely intend to keep going. I think there's eleven or twelve altogether. Yeah, I've watched seven. I think.、Mm. So Aziz plays Dev, who is a sort of not struggling. He's actually doing quite well.、Um, young actor living in New York. And he's got two really good friends, but it's not. A lot of people have commented on how it's not sort of friendsish or anything else.、Um, in that they don't hang out obsessively together all the time. You just see them kind of at the pub before they go on to other things, or you know, it's a little little bit more realistic in that sense. And then each episode is themed, isn't it, around a certain issue? So the first one. Is about children and how some of his friends are starting to have children. The second one is about parents, specifically first-generation immigrant parents. And yeah, it's just a really interesting way of structuring a show, I think. And it helps it feel not like a sitcom. Yeah, interestingly, even though I think in the kind of pure sense it is a situation comedy, but because you get sort of time jumps and very different scenes in order to get all of the stuff about parents. Yeah, that kind of falseness. I'm thinking, you know, Friends is the. The kind of best example of this—that kind of falseness where each episode tries to feel chronologically self-contained.、Mm-hmm. So you have to shove an entire plot into twenty-four、mm. hours, when in a really unrealistic way. Whereas that just—they're just not bothering to do that. Yeah, this, and that's that's quite nice. I was expecting something slightly different from this show because I've seen Aziz Ansari acting in more comedy comedy roles,、mm. more out there, you know,、uh, laugh out loud, silly, ridiculous comedy roles. This is. A lot gentler than that. It's really not something that I was sat there like in hysterics the whole way through. Like there were some lines that would get me really giggling, but on the whole, you are more invested in it as a sort of look at his life as well. Like you are、yeah. interested in the friendships, you are interested in you know his acting career, you are interested in all these things. It's not they're not just vehicles for humour. I'm kind of invested in him as a character. Definitely, I, I, I want Dev to do well, kind of thing. I have to say though, I did laugh out loud at the episode where he's auditioning for the Black Virus movie. Yeah, that's really funny. Is <laughs> that is really silly. Really, really silly. Some of the best bits in this show do touch on race, don't they? There's like a whole episode that centers around the fact that he's up for this part, and so is his friend, and they both auditioned for one part, and they ask him to do a sort of an accent, and he knows what they mean by that. They want like a kind of vaguely comedy Indian accent,、yeah. or at least stereotype. We need you to do an accent. You mean like an Indian accent? You know, Ben Kingsley did an accent in Gandhi, and he won the Oscar for it. So, but he didn't win the Oscar just for doing the accent. I mean, it wasn't an Oscar for best Indian accent. And he's not comfortable doing it because、so、it's not his accent. Yeah, feels like a fraudulent thing to do, so he won't do it. And then his friend does do it and gets offered the part. And then they both end up going for. It's, it's, I get the sense it's like a comedy duo、yeah. thing. So they're they're both being considered for each part of this comedy duo. And then a producer says, you know, well we can't have two, and he means like we can't have two Indians in that role or Indian Americans in that role. The episode sort of centers around that issue, 
and <laughs> you have you know a big conflict where dev actually caves and does an accent because he thinks he might be more likely to be the one they mm. choose for this comedy duo if he does it and then the other one refuses to do it and that means that they eventually get cast with one of them being uh, a first generation immigrant i.e dev he'll do the city accent and you know a more established uh, indian american his friend who won't have to do an accent so that I really enjoyed those kinds of plots and ways of coming at race from an angle that's not just like, what do we do about the problem of race? It's just like weaved very, very naturally into and the story and it doesn't have to be a, like a massive, uh, you know, headline part of the each episode. It's just, and it feels very, very organic. And it doesn't go, what do we do about the problem of race? We get yeah, one not non-white <laughs> actor problem solved. It shows how the problem of race is an ongoing and constant feature yeah and also the ways in which you can benefit from these things as well and in you know i I use that word in in its broadest sense it reminded me a bit of an interview i once had with the british indian actress mira sayal and it was in a program all about radio and how radio gets made and she was saying because she doesn't have obviously indian accent Mm. just like dev doesn't but she said that all of the radio parts i get offered are and she said which is absurd because on radio i could be elizabeth bennett exactly yeah yeah i'm a trade actor and yeah i'm not getting offered those but no one's ever offered me that Mm. which is interesting (laughs) and Mm. kind of sad Another podcast we like very much, Call Your Girlfriend, has also talked about Master of None in the last week. They said some really interesting stuff about how they reckon this is what happens when a comedian, Aziz Ansari, with really interesting ideas about race and narrative, goes out with a feminist. Ah, who's he going out with? I don't know, but clearly he's going out with someone famously feminist. Um, Which... It is good in that sense, isn't it? It's like... The, the the very first scene in the whole series is a sex scene mm. between Dev and this girl. Does girls start that way? Maybe it doesn't, actually. I think it starts with them lying in be- her lying in bed with her friend, doesn't it? So that's mm. not a fair comparison for me. But it, it, for me, kind of set almost the wrong tone because this isn't, like, a sex-obsessed show actually, about... I think that's the only sex scene we've seen so yeah, far. Yeah, exactly. It's the very first scene. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, like... That, I mean, obviously... It's great to have sex scenes in stuff and not and for to it not to be like titillating or shocking, you know, thing used to advertise the programme. Obviously, I'm not saying he shouldn't have had a sex scene in it. I just mean, for me, this is a programme that treats issues like sex and relationships so um, humanely doesn't sound like a very good word to use. But, you know, it's very thoughtful and it's very respectful all the time. Mm. Uh, which actually you do end up getting in that seed, which is all about the fact that he's worried that he might get this girl pregnant, even though they have used protection. You know, there's a kind of a mishap and uh, he's kind of very cautious, isn't he? And very careful. And then they like go and get plan B together and mm. that kind of thing. It's really, really like subtle and well done. And yeah, so that's probably a good point that maybe the the feminist angle is coming at it because of his personal relationship, who knows? And, and the fact that his his sort of, core crew of friends his his sort of dudes that he hangs out with one of them is a woman Mm. and i just feel like a black gay woman as well that that's that's a decision that not many comedians make Mm. when seeking to portray kind of like male platonic friendship well mindy carling's been Mm. criticized for this hasn't she in her stuff in but which i think is maybe a bit unfair um because I think the burden on her is heavier than it would be on someone else, which is where the you know unfairness creeps in. But she's been criticised for, in her, her shows, 
while she's the lead, all her romantic interests are white um, mm. white men. And, you know, people have said that there's something a bit off about that, which I, I struggle uh, to criticise her harshly for because, you know, at least she's she's doing more than <laughs> yeah. a lot of people out there. But overall, I, I like Master of None. I actually, unlike other things on Netflix, I think I would have watched this every week if it was on television. Definitely. It's... In the manner of Netflix, you know, it's all up there right now. You can you can go and watch it all in a weekend if you want to. But it's got enough of a narrative thread that I would have returned to it every week. Mm-hmm. But it's also got enough sort of immediate jokes that if you missed one, you wouldn't feel particularly bereft. Yeah, I think the supporting cast as well are all really, really good. Mm. Uh, like, it's just a show that is con- very consistently good as well. It's not like you have moments where you're like, oh God, I'm really bored by this one now. Although it is very odd in that it doesn't have a very strict format it is consistently good and i also think i should shout out to um i don't know the actor's name or the character's name <laughs> but um dev's friend the tall the tall Arnold, white friend I think, I think yeah he's so funny yeah. <laughs> yeah just everything he says he, d- he delivers it so so brilliantly and uh really really makes me laugh so well done guys <laughs> great show made yeah really great show definitely have a go at it yeah I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now we're going to talk about the new film Brooklyn, uh, adapted from the novel by Colm Tobin, which I really love the novel and based on the trailer of the film was a bit apprehensive that a novel I loved had been kind of massacred for the screen. Although actually that turned out not to be so much the case. Yeah, but... I did. we were talking about this before we went to see it, weren't we? Because about how trailers can often be edited to make them seem as you know, populist as possible. And sort of bland, that was my concern mm. about the... But anyway, so the novel and the film 
follow pretty much exactly the same plot. They haven't really made many changes for the screen. It's about a young Irish girl in the 50s called Ailish who is sort of struggling to find work in her hometown and her older sister who has got a good job and various contacts and stuff arranges for her to get a job and papers and emigrate to America and she ends up in Brooklyn, hence the, the title of the book. I'm away to America. My sister Rose arranged it. I can't buy you a future. I can't buy you the kind of life you need. But you'll come see me there one day. Yes. Passport, please. Step this way. Next, please. And it's about the life she lives there. And then sort of tragedy strikes and she has to come home for a bit. And it's about the kind of comparison she makes with her life back home mm. and its kind of competing demands upon her. I really, really love the novel as a kind of interior portrait of a woman's mind. It's one of the best things I've ever read in that regard. I must read it. So I was apprehensive about how you do that in film. My biggest concern was that they were going to do it as an older Ailish looking back with lots of voiceover and that kind of thing. Oh yeah, that was <laughs> like but, Call the Midwife. Yes, exactly. But they didn't do that at all. There was no voiceover or anything like that. And all of the kind of interior stuff was done through acting. You told me those concerns before we went to see it. And I do think they um, handled that really well. Someone we know was saying about how Saoirse Ronan's really good at looking like there's so much going on in her head, even without doing overly dramatic expressions. Yes, she's got she's got the Charlotte Rampling trick of acting yes, with her face. Yes, but in a way that someone like Carrie Mulligan, her acting style is so full of expression. Mm. And so you know what she's thinking with each expression. And she's brilliant at it, and I love that about Carrie Mulligan. But Saoirse Ronan, much more subtle. You don't really necessarily know what she's thinking at any one time. She's but... much better at ambiguity, isn't mm. she? Yeah. Which is better for the character, I think, because that's one of the things I really liked about the novel, is that even though you get a lot more of Ailish's direct thoughts in it, you still don't properly know what she thinks about everything, because she doesn't know. Mm. The novel doesn't have a kind of definitive, tied-up, wrapped-up ending, because she doesn't really know how things are going to go. Mm. That was really good. I also, I really liked how they, the details in terms of clothes were mm. very, very important because it was a big preoccupation of Ailish and her sister that she wouldn't have good enough clothes to go to America. So they put a lot of money and effort into trying to make sure that she's sort of properly turned out because this is how she is a kind of new woman is going to be judged. And also she works in a department store that sells incredibly fine, beautiful things for much much richer women than she is and she lives in a boarding house full of women who exist in a kind of pecking order according to who's wearing what so all the detail that was put on that sort of thing was really really good they did make an effort didn't they with that and there's a lovely moment where Ailish is about to get off the boat when she arrives in America she has to go through immigration a woman that she meets on the boat who kind of sees that no Ailish is it's a complete life-changing experience for her helps her dress for when she's getting off the boat, for when she sees the immigration officials. And, you know, she picks out something that's sort of muted colours and then like a red scarf and she puts a bit of rouge on her lips for her and does her makeup for her. And then says, you know, you've got to hold your head high, you've got to try and think like an American and go through. And that's a real moment of like, we're dressing you for your new life and you yeah. have to buckle up and do it. And then later on, there's a, there's a scene where sort of Ailish almost does the same for another young woman. So you get this sense of how important these things are as a way of, A, presenting yourself and how you come across to other people, but also women helping each other yeah. face the world. And there's sort of 
you know, whether it's her sister or this woman on the boat or the women in the boarding house, they all help each other in this very specific way, which is really, yeah, well done. Ailish later on starts going out with an Italian-American guy. And um, when he invites her to come and meet his family, the, a couple of the women in the boarding house give her a kind of lesson on how to eat spaghetti without getting it all over mm. herself, um, which is really sweet. Because you know everyone knows that you shouldn't you shouldn't go out to an Italian restaurant on your first date because you'll cover yourself in sauce. In sauce, um, and so this is the same thing. Yeah, I mean, one of the fears we had, didn't we, was that this was going to be a romance story about mm. a choice between two partners, two romantic partners. When actually, the choice is much more about how Ailish wants her life to be and where she wants her life to be. As you say, when she has to go back to Ireland um, because of some, you know terrible news it's then the decision or not whether to come back that is difficult for Ailish it was not not a difficult decision at all when she decided she had to go home but it's the coming back that becomes problematic and a lot has happened in America between her going for the first time and potentially coming back um and they do that really well, I think. I've got the sense that the the two kind of men that she kind of frames this decision around, uh, you, the guy she kind of falls in love with in America and then a man she meets for the first time, really, although he's been around all her life, the man she meets for the first time coming back to Ireland. The film makes them representatives of something else very well without it being hit-you-over-the-head metaphor stuff, I think. Yes, they, they represent the two different lives. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about, you know, for like her mum saying this is the life that you could have with this young man here. Or when she's in America, people saying, oh, I hear that you've been out with this Italian guy, you know, what does that mean for you? So I think although it's never, it's never embarrassingly like, oh, th- this man represents Ireland. Here he is wearing, yeah. you know, with orange hair and a green glint in his eye. It's not quite like that. It is a good way of making it clear that actually there's more to Ailish's life than the men that... And there's also this sense that the other people in her community are using this man in Ireland Mm. to represent Ireland to her. Mm -hmm. That they are very consciously throwing her towards him in an attempt to try and get her to stay. And also there's a lot of stuff about duty as well. She's kind of at times guilt-tripped uh, mm. by her family. So, for example, her mum, who I, I don't think does this on purpose, she's, you know, she's a well-rounded human character, but wants her to stay because she's lonely. Uh, and there's a, a job opportunity that arises and she is very reluctant at first to help out, but it's, you know, seen as, like, oh, you know, you must help us, you must help us. And so that becomes another kind of duty that she has to stay for. And then as she kind of spends a lot of time with this young man I think she starts to feel kind of almost honor bound to him as well in Mm. a way the weight of expectation is heavier on her shoulders in Ireland than it is in America although when she first goes to America she feels like she has to prove that it's been worth it by the end it almost seems like the actual burden is in Ireland not in America yeah she feels freer to make choices in America I suppose because she's got fewer people depending on her Mm. and that she feels that she has to consult. That is very representative of what it's like to be an immigrant, that you feel this constant pull back to where you're from, but there's a reason why you're not there anymore. Mm. It made me think a lot of my grandma, who's an Irish immigrant to the Mm. UK, and I wondered if her... I mean, obviously, the difference is the distance. You can move to the UK and visit for Christmas in a way that you probably can't do. Oh, even then, um, I was talking to my friend Danny, who is an Irish immigrant herself and she was saying that she always finds it so funny when people like me talk about going home for the weekend Mm. because you can get to my home (laughs) 
on a train yeah very easily and even though dublin is not physically as far as you know if she was japan or something mm. but she for a very long time she couldn't afford to go more than once a year so she went once a year and my gran it would have been a very similar time as in this story when ailish leaves ireland so it did make me think wow that's such an experience there is to a have kind had. of terrifying stat that danny told me once that there are 11 million irish people in the world and only four million of them live in ireland yeah, that's mad, isn't it? Which is mad. <laughs> All these Catholics, you know, <laughs> populating a country and yeah, then moving out. There are seven million expatriate Irish people. <laughs> so this this kind of narrative of, of leaving and not returning is a very Irish thing. Yeah, like. but and also some of the, you know, Julie Walters is excellent in this film, although she has a very small part. Some of the, that reminded me so much of my gran, the way she was speaking at the table to all these girls. And... I saw, did you, do you, so, because she plays the kind of, um, the owner of the boarding house yeah. where Eilish lives. And you yeah. know, it's a very, you get more of this in the book, actually. But I think it came across on the screen that Mrs. Keogh, her name is, she, she runs a very respectable house for respectable mm. young ladies. And you, it's, you know, no one's got a reputation at yeah. her house. There is nothing sort of bawdy or anything no. about it it's very very respectable and upright and religious and stuff but not unkind because of that it's a you know Eilish does no she's a lovely woman isn't yeah. she she's very supportive and uh really helps her get on her feet essentially yeah so I saw Julie Walters being interviewed on Graham Norton I think, yeah a I saw that ago. too and when she was saying that um although you know I'm not myself from a sort of Irish family a lot of my mum's friends were. So Mrs. Keogh is basically an amalgamation. Yeah, yeah. No, it's lovely. And that, there's a line, she says something about, you know, she gives uh, Ailish a room with a separate door and she says, you know, that's only for a sensible girl. You know, it's not, I can't give it to one of the other girls. And that's just exactly the kind of thing my gran would say about being sensible. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it just really got me. Though my, my gran is very, you know, quite silly at times as well. She's not a, a serious woman. And I think that's what really struck me about that, what, why I felt so reminded of her in that character and that she's someone with very strict rules and will say, you know, serious things, but there's a glint in her eye the whole time and you know she kind of doesn't, she's joking most of the time. Yeah. It's it's lovely. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a very sweet. Good, good turn from Jim Broadbent as well, actually, as yeah. the, the priest. That's Three Harry of... Potter actors in this one. Yeah, from the priest. Donald that... Gleeson and Jim Broadbent and Julie Walters. Mm. That help Ailish kind of feel less homesick while she's there and he's the one yeah. who sponsored her visa and all this kind of stuff because he's a friend of her sister's yeah it's that's a lovely thing about this actually because although obviously Ailish gets extremely homesick when she first moves this isn't a film that really like drums up the struggle of leaving like she's got mm. a really supportive community on both sides I was going to say of the Atlantic it's the Atlantic <laughs> on both sides of the Atlantic so that I that's nice I think the bit that totally broke my heart in this film actually was the bit where she's on the boat leaving and the camera just looks down as if from her point of view, and you just see all of these women standing on the dock saying goodbye to their children. Yeah, um, I agree. And there was no no sound, really. No. It was just silent, all, all of these faces just looking at each other for what they think probably will be the last time. And it's um, quite a restra emotionally restrained mm. film. Like, people do cry in this film, but there's always a sense that they're not going to, like, really let go. And they're going to do it in secret. And they're they? Yeah, yeah, and they're going to be strong for each other. That's kind of a, a big unspoken thing. Um, 
And in that moment, instead of standing there crying, her mum just tries to leave, doesn't yeah. she, and tries to walk away. And that's just, it's really, really... And she does it again when she sort of leaves for the second time, when yeah. she um, she kind of says goodnight the night before and says, your train's early, I probably won't see you in the morning. We'll yeah, I don't now. want to. I just yeah. want to say goodbye once, which I think is is devastating, but probably the only way to cope with yeah. that, really. Probably very accurate as well. Yeah. So I really enjoyed the film, and despite the way the trailer makes it look sappy, it isn't. And I would recommend it to people, but I would recommend the novel much more. I, I still think it's excellent. Okay, I've got to go and read that. You don't think it spoils it, knowing the plot? No, I, I, the, the style of writing still had enough pleasure in it for me that... Oh, great. Okay, would, yeah. I'll definitely do that. Now for the part of the podcast we still haven't thought of a name for. <laughs> yeah, we had a few suggestions on Twitter this week. My favourite one being, to me, to you, like Chuckle <laughs> Brothers. But I'm not so sure I can ever say that with a straight face. I had so. a really Chuckle Brothers incident this weekend where we, me and my boyfriend had to move a brand new coffee table up a very narrow flight of stairs <laughs> and it's like metal and ridiculously heavy. I didn't really do much. I just stood there going like, are you sure it's not going to fall on me? <laughs> yeah. sure? I think it's going to fall. Uh, yeah. Sorry, that's so, so we still, yeah, so long story short, we still haven't named this part of the podcast. So if you have a brilliant pun for this that we're about to do where we sort of exchange things, do let us know. Yeah, I can't, I can't think of anything. <laughs> yeah, no, neither can I. But anyway, so last week I recommended Anna the film Transamerica. Yeah, watch. I uh, did watch. What did you make of it? I really, really enjoyed this film. I think it's really bizarre. As we described last week, the plot is basically this woman called Brie who lives alone in... Is she in California? Somewhere in California. Yeah, somewhere in California. And she's finally arriving at a point in her life where she's going to have surgery. She's a trans woman and she's going to have her, you know, full gender reassignment surgery. And, you know, she's had, there's a whole long list of all the procedures she's had before, but, you know, this is the big one. Uh, And she is about to go away and do this when she gets, out of the blue, gets a call about a son she never knew she had who's being released from prison. So, yeah, this is what Caroline described the film to me. But one thing you didn't mention is that she doesn't tell her son. Oh, right. No, I forgot about that. Yeah. She doesn't She doesn't tell her son that she's his well there's she sometimes says father and sometimes mother that she's his parent and that is where the tension of the film comes from isn't it that they're doing she's doing this long she sort of poses as someone from community church who's willing to bail him out and take him where he needs to go and then they spend this whole trip together and yeah so that's where a lot of the problems and you know the driving force of the film comes from it's like is she going to tell him at what point is she going to tell him how's he going to react he finds out that she's trans about halfway through and reacts awfully like really badly and that i assume puts her off basically but i think i I did feel like there were some problems with it probably if i was a a trans person watching this film there is it's a little dated now isn't it this is 2005 there's a real focus on like genitalia in this film obviously that is an inevitable to a sense because we know that that's the surgery she's about to have 
but in another sense there's a lot of sort of like oh i saw you know there's a lot of like she's got a dick in it all the way through which is perhaps realistic and maybe that's why they've included it but maybe because you know people are just obsessed with that in a weird way when you know it's almost one of the, one of the things people always seem to ask transgender people in a really inappropriate way so that was something that put me on edge a little bit and also she brie this is a this is you know a, a mother-son story but there are lots of moments where it's that relationship is sort of sexualized aren't yeah. there so that obviously because um he doesn't know that brie's his mum there's a scene where he basically tries to have sex with her and she's obviously horrified. And part of me worried that is this something that... Obviously women are often sexualized in stories, but trans women often say that they're more sexualized than other women. Maybe if this was a, a mother-son story about uh, a cisgendered woman, would that sexual element have, have been there? I'm not sure. Maybe it would have done because it, the whole point is that he doesn't know. Um, but those were the two like reservations I had. But I also think it, this is a really weird and interesting film, especially if you if you try not to look at it as a film about trans issues. That's definitely how I felt about it at the time, that part of the reason I liked it and why it kind of stayed with me is because I think it was one of the first bits of culture I encountered that, was a, that ha- contained these issues but was not defined by them. Yeah, and I think that is a really, you know, you, the, this is a film about a very unusual parent-child relationship and it's unusual for all sorts of reasons not just because Brie is a trans woman that Mm. is not where the you know all of the conflict comes from in this story and I think it's not like a film that I've seen before and I think that's really nice to see in films like this is when you describe it as a plot like oh yeah it's like a road trip and they're like going from one side of America to another and like they don't really know each other maybe they'll bond along the way you're like okay this sounds like so many films mm. and it doesn't sound very challenging but that's not what it is at all really is it it's because it's there's so many weird tangents and it's not that neat a film no. is it it's no. a little bit messy and a little bit weird so no i really liked it and it's just a really interesting viewing experience so i guess i'd, I'd recommend it you know with some caveats basically yeah. good well i'm glad you got something from it anyway what are you going to recommend me for next week so this is something that's so close to my heart, Caroline. I really hope you like it. I'm going to recommend to you uh, a childhood thing, which is always a bit like... Because if, if you didn't watch it as a child, when you recommend something from your own childhood to people, they can be a bit like, well, what the fuck is this? And then you can just kind of be disappointed. So that might happen. I'm prepared for that. But this is called Wishbone. And any people out there who watched Wishbone growing up, I hope will love it as much as I do. It's completely impossible to describe because it's a, it's a story. It's, it's a kid's TV show. Each episode was like an hour long. They're really long for kid's TV programmes. And the main character is Wishbone, who's a Jack Russell. So he's a family pet. Modern day family. He's the pet. You see everything from his perspective. So he's like running around like eating cookies and stuff. Mm. And he talks, but like not in a, the family understand what he's saying way, in a like voiceover way. So you're getting the interior monologue of the dog. But then the dog watches his family do stuff and like compares it internally to to major works of classic literature. (laughs) 
okay, that's the bit that just confuses me. And then, and then you see him sort of go off into a dreamscape where he thinks about, uh, you know, these different works of classic literature. Um, and then he plays the lead. So if it's, you know, if it's Othello, then the Jack Russell's Othello. And all the other <laughs> characters... So weird, <laughs> it's so weird. And then all the other characters are just played by actual human people <laughs> who can understand the dog and make no reference to the fact that he's a dog. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. It's like so weird, but it's also so good. And so yeah, he like for example, there's like a sleepy hollow one, so it's Halloween in his town and they're all like making a pumpkin and then he's like, This reminds me of, you know, Ichabod Crane and then like he'll be sat there in a little hat and he's just like Ichabod Crane and then he's like in a meeting with all these other old timey people and they're like, What do you think, Ichabod? And then the like dog runs around and he's like, Hmm, guys, <laughs> it's so weird but i love it and i actually it's just so cute it's also made for me as a massive fan of dogs books and kids tv programs Mm. so i i think you'll you'll enjoy it i hope so anyway okay i'm gonna give that a go i'm just gonna i'm interested for your take anyway an adult take on wishbone (laughs) cool Thanks for listening to Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. We have a special request of our listeners. We are turning our thoughts to Christmas and we want to do a special episode all about Christmas television, how you watch it, what you enjoy and so on. So we would like to hear from you. All our contact details can be found on newstatesman.com forward slash SRSLY. Please get in touch. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.